0: I want to uh, introduce uh, now Josh Reeves. Uh, Josh, if you want to come forward. Uh, Some of you know Josh. Uh, He's been around uh, since the beginning of Center Church. Uh, He was actually one of our advisory uh, elders Uh, in the beginning before we had a plurality of elders. He actually uh, was one of the two guys that commissioned me uh, on our, I believe it was our second Sunday as a church gathered uh, way back when, in 2016. And so, uh, Josh is uh, the planting, one of the founding pastors of Redeemer Round Rock. Uh, it's a part of the Redeemer Network that uh, we're a part of. Um, and uh, he now uh, is just a lay elder there, and he works for an, a... Uh, an organization called Church Biz uh, they're an, uh, a church accounting firm uh, and uh, he is actually I, guess, I don't know our project manager or I don't know what you call it uh, but uh, we work really closely with Josh and so we're glad to have him here today uh, to share with us a uh, man from First Thessalonians and so uh, Josh thanks for being here uh, we're grateful for you and uh, the ways that uh, you have and continue to serve our church and so I'm going to let Josh uh, get started
1: yeah thanks Kyle as Kyle said, my name is Josh Reeves, and I am married to my wife, Lauren, for almost 20 years. We're coming up on our 20th year anniversary. And we have three children, Autumn, who's 18, uh, Emily, who is 15, and Owen, who is 11. And I get to serve, as Kyle said, as an elder at uh, Redeemer Round Rock. And it has been such a joy to watch from a distance. What God has been doing at Center Church in Brenham to see that you guys have grown from a fledgling church plant to a uh, a church that is loving and caring for this city with a true gospel presence. And so, uh, from afar, we are so excited and encouraged by the work that God is doing here at Center Church. And, and I'm glad that you let me come hang out with you. I, I see a lot of Ranger fans out there this morning. Is that correct? Uh, maybe not. Okay, Kyle. Kyle paid me to say that. No, I just can't. Um, yeah, they need your prayers. So. Uh, uh, but anyways, I am so glad to be here with you this morning and excited when Kyle asked me if I'd come preach. You know, I kind of was like, well, what are you preaching through? And he said, 1 Thessalonians. And I said, I'm there. I love First Thessalonians. Such a great book where the Apostle Paul is encouraging uh, the church towards gospel hope in the midst of suffering. And so last week and over the past few weeks, Pastor Kyle has been unpacking. Uh, Paul's first couple chapters in 1 Thessalonians where he's reminded us last week that uh, we, when, we, when God saved us, our response to that is to be in awe and thanksgiving. When you see God at work saving people, when you look back at your own life and God saving you, there's this response of awe and thanksgiving. And out of that flows a life that imitates Christ, even in suffering. This is what you looked at last week. And Paul continues to encourage the church to imitate God in their suffering and to trust God's providence to both save and sustain them. And this morning, we're going to continue to dig into First Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 17 through chapter 3, 5. And our text is going to continue this line of thinking about holding on to Jesus in the midst of facing trials and suffering. And in this text, we're going to see two main themes at work. We're going to see first that Paul longs to be face-to-face with the Thessalonians, but Satan has hindered this. And next, we're going to see that in spite of this hindrance, God provides a way for Paul to send Timothy to exhort and encourage the Thessalonian church in Paul's absence. And here's the main idea I hope we walk away with today, that when Christians face affliction, they need a gospel presence. That is a people who will show up in their life and encourage and exhort them to cling to Christ. So let me pray and then we'll jump into our text for today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the opportunity to pause our busy week's To put away our tasks and to rest and set our eyes and our hearts on you. We thank you this morning that although we come in here with a variety of troubles, anxieties, suffering, and afflictions. That through the simple proclamation of your word, you feed and nourish us. You give us the grace that we need to face tomorrow, to face Monday morning with faithfulness. So, Holy Spirit, as we open this text that you inspired through the Apostle Paul, would you illuminate our hearts to see what this means for us this week? It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and jump right into chapter 2, verse 17. We'll read through verse 20 and then stop. Paul continues on. He says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, We endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. As Pastor Kyle mentioned last week, Paul is most likely or was most likely only with the Thessalonican church for a few months before he was literally ripped away from them by persecution. And in Paul's absence, this fledgling young church that's vulnerable to other voices and influences, you would imagine they begin to be bombarded with accusations that, hey, Paul's left you. Paul doesn't care about you. Who, who's who's going to care for you now? Um, Paul abandoned you. He doesn't care. Don't listen to him. It, right? If you're a false teacher, or someone looking to draw these newly converted Thessalonians back to perhaps Judaism or the idol worship of their upbringing, this is a prime opportunity to do that. Paul is gone. So the voices of the enemy begin to come in. They begin to draw away from Christ. We might say that without a gospel presence... We are vulnerable to listening to the voices that lead us away from Jesus. Now, this is this is a relational principle true in all relationships. Parents, you'll realize as your children get older, they're not with you as much. Some of you with young kids are saying, oh, that sounds wonderful. I would like for them not to be with me so much. Um, but w- w- as your kids get older, they, they start spreading out further and further. They go off to college and they move away and they have families. and And you can't always be there for them. And, and you tend to worry about who are the influences, who are the voices that are speaking into my kid's life when they go off to college or move to that new city. In relationships, we see this principle at work that if you don't see a person face-to-face for a while, anyone ever experiences, you don't see someone face-to-face, and then let's say all of a sudden there's tension or something comes up where there's a problem, and you start interacting over text or email, perhaps at work, uh, <clears throat> there's lots of assumptions and, and things that can start to enter in. Right? When we don't see people, we become vulnerable to the assumptions of the enemy. We had several members in our church that over COVID, when everyone was isolated for a period, gosh, that was an, I don't even mean to bring that up, that was such an awful time uh, for all of us, but there were people who were isolated and alone, and they, were, they didn't have a gospel presence in their life, and so many of these people began to turn to the presence of the internet and the voices of internet prophets and, and priests. And we would have conversations with people as they're coming back and realize that in the, in the meantime, without a face-to-face presence, that these people had begun to create narratives and have assumptions on us that had nothing to do with anything we'd done. There's a relational principle that when we don't have face-to-face interaction, assumptions and false narratives begin to creep in. I'll give you an example of how this works in my heart. Um, I... Uh, I In ministry, you have a lot of hard conversations. Uh, Pastor Kyle could tell you that. Many of you who've done ministry could could know that. Uh, And so after a while, you can get a little gun shy. And there was a season of ministry where it just felt like every conversation was, hey, we need to talk. And then the conversation was why they're leaving our church. Uh, Those are always fun. Um, and so there, there was a season where when I would get an email from someone in the church who maybe I haven't had face-to-face contact with, we haven't had coffee, we haven't shared a meal, we haven't been in one another's life, I get that email, my initial reaction was just like nervousness, like, oh boy, what's it going to say? <laughs> you know, and it, it says we need to meet, I'm like, okay, what's the meeting going to be about? And I'll dread the meeting and get there, and they just want to, sh- you know, hey, I just want to catch up with you and know how you're doing. I'm like, oh, okay, I'd already created a defense for for why you should stay or why you should go and all those things, Right? And I think that the one thing we need to realize is in the absence of face-to-face, the enemy takes that as an opportunity to bring out accusations and create false narratives. And we all do this. We all have our own propensity to do this. And we face, in our world, just as Paul did, an enemy, a real enemy. Now, I want to break this down into a couple things. Because there are voices that influence us towards evil that are that are complicated but there's i think there's three main elements to this there's first there's kind of our own inner voice that own inner sinful part of us right that tendency you have to maybe uh like if you're like me to get defensive on if anyone emails you i'm thinking okay what's the problem some of you are like oh i don't think like that but you might have something else that's going on inside of you we all have our own sinful patterns that participate in this Second, we have cultural voices, like I talked about people who uh, were were getting on social media and listening to the internet prophets and YouTube preachers rather than face-to-face people in their life. We have media and, and sinful ways of our world that form us and deform us. And there is a a battle to this. There is a battle for the soul. And then third, there are real spiritual forces of evil at work in the world. There are unseen powers and principalities. There are demonic activity at work in the world. I don't think that Paul is just using uh, hyperbole to say that Satan hindered him here. I think he, in retrospect, likely looked back upon this incident and said, you know what, that was a work of the enemy there. And so we have these... Obstacles against us and these, uh, these voices, these things that lead us often work in tandem and they especially hit us when we face trials and afflictions, right? When things are going well. Uh, we tend we tend to kind of be okay. Maybe relationally you're okay. When you hit conflict and you start feeling reactive, that's when the enemy starts to slip in. That's when the cracks that open in the relationship, assumptions come in and narratives come in. And all of a sudden, this person's an enemy and that person's an enemy and I'm uh, an enemy. And Satan is at work, certainly through these forces... Feeding plausible lies that pull people away from Jesus and divide them against one one another. One of those lies, perhaps, for this young Thessalonian church was that Paul didn't care about them. And that, look at Paul, he's deserted them, he's left them. So why would you listen to what Paul proclaimed? Why don't you come back over to the synagogue? It would make things so much easier. Or why don't you go back to the idol worship? You wouldn't have to face all this persecution. Who is this Paul anyways, right? But the truth was that Paul was thankful for these Thessalonians. He was in awe of what God had done for them, what he was doing in Thessalonica. And far from abandoning them, uh, the text describes it, that Paul was actually ripped away from them. This this word here, this torn away word in the original languages, is kind of like to be orphaned. It's almost like you imagine this scene of, Paul, it wasn't his choice to leave the church this early, but yet because of persecution, it's almost like a, a mother and a child in a crowded space, and, and they're just ripped, tragically ripped apart from each other. And this is the feeling Paul has towards this church. And yet you see how in the vacuum of gospel presence, lies and deceit and the work of the enemy can come in. Now, a couple of quick takeaways. These are just some quick applications here for us, and some warnings for us. Just to apply this to us is number one: is isolation, isolating yourself from gospel leaders and influences, leaves you in a very dangerous place. When suffering hits, when difficulty hits, when the stress of work or uh, family life, when when the things that are difficult hit, we tend to want to isolate ourselves from other people. And it's in fact, it's those very moments that we need gospel presence in our life. It's in those moments that we become most vulnerable to the voices inside of us, outside of us, and the spiritual forces around us. We need gospel people around us who will give us grace, love, encouragement, and exhortation. Um, secondly, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but secondly, I want to encourage you Put yourself under face-to-face leadership, not internet pastors and prophets. Um, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I think during COVID, we were all kind of, you know, our our culture is already heading down a kind of a technological social media cesspool, and COVID just kind of accelerated some of that, got us alone, and I've seen a lot of people who are just beat down and still even in kind of the, the, the rummage of what happened because they begin listening to YouTube pastors and podcast preachers rather than someone they knew face to face. Here's the reality. You don't know what that person's life is like, who's broadcasting their message. You don't know what they treat their kids like, what they treat their wife like. You can't watch their life. And so really, they're actually profiting off of you watching them. Gospel presence that we're going to see here that Paul, that, that is the antidote to suffering and affliction and the uh, the opposite voice to the voice of the enemy, is one that loves you at a, its own costly expense. It's face to face, someone who sits down with you over a cup of coffee, someone who you know how they love their, their wife and kids or their family. It's a life that you can see up close. Find humble gospel leaders who, who you see their life and it's not perfect, but it's humble and it's submitted to Jesus and it's proclaiming Jesus and submit yourself to that kind of a leader. Find a voice like, a gospel voice like that and say, Hey, I need you to speak into my life because I know when things get hard, I'm going to be prone to listen to the lies. And I need someone who will show up as a gospel presence with me. Not someone on the internet, right? They're not showing up in your life. You're kind of going to them and picking and choosing. Or the the algorithm is picking and choosing for you. Let's keep reading verse, uh, verse 1. We move it into chapter 3. Paul says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. I love it here. We we see again Paul's desire was not just to send a, a message to them. Yes, he would do that when he needed to. But he loved this church so he wanted to be there with them face to face. As they're walking through suffering, as they're walking through hardship, as they're tempted by lies and distortions of the gospel, he wanted to be there like a nurturing father to love and care for them. Now, it is interesting that Paul actually wanted this, but he wasn't able to have it this time. I think this is a good realization from the text, that that Paul was human, that he had limitations um, some of you, maybe as parents, have experienced where there's circumstances where your children, you want to be there, you want to be present, or a friend who's far away, you want to be there with everything within you, but some some circumstances hindered you from being able to be there. I love that we're confronted with the limitations of Paul, that he, he longs for something that he can't do. <laughs> he just can't do it. Um, I think that should encourage us at times when we want to be something, but we are limited to do it. And here's the encouraging thing, is that despite of Paul's limitations, God was not limited. God provides a way where he can send Timothy, um, which me and Kyle were joking earlier, perhaps Paul was like, well, you know, the suffering's really bad. <laughs> I mean, the suffering's really bad. So Timothy, yeah, you go, you go and uh, you talk to these people. I don't think that was the case. I think it was more, Paul really couldn't go, but he sends Timothy, He sends his his number one uh, associate in ministry, if you will, to go and be a representative of Paul to encourage the Thessalonians. You see, Paul loved them like a spiritual father, and yet God loved this church even more. Sometimes we have to rest in that. Those of us that want to be all things to all people, we have to realize we're limited, but yet God is unlimited and that's why i think oftentimes in paul's letters you see him breaking out in prayer because how many times would paul want to be there and there's all this crazy stuff going on over here and what can paul do all he can do is pray sometimes you have to we have to remember that i'm i'm learning that as a as a father of two teen daughters um i want to be there all the time make sure they're completely safe all the time and you know spy on any boy that even looks at them and you know maybe you know conceal care you know i don't even have that but um but the reality is Got an amen there. Uh, I can't. I can't be at school with them all day. I can't be with my daughter next year. She goes off to college. And as much as I love them, God loves them even more. And so I'm trying to learn the exercise of going to the Lord in desperate prayer for them. Even on my drive over this morning, there were some things I was stressing about them. And I just began to lift it to the Lord. Peter says, uh, if you're feeling anxiety and you have this, you know, bur- uh, burden of anxiety, of worry, cast it on the Lord because he cares for you. Paul was praying for them and ultimately God presented a way where Timothy could go and love them. And also, I think it's important to, to recognize that, um, that this was not a cheap move for Paul. Like I, I was trying to do the Google Maps of like uh, I think Paul's in Athens likely at this time. It, sa- it says that in our text that he was had, had to stay in Athens and send Timothy. And so I think from Athens to Thessalonica, it's somewhere in the like here to Dallas type of range. You could you you geography geeks correct me on that later. But so for us that could be a three hour drive, right? When I came up this morning, I hopped in my car, I drove an hour and a half, relatively easy. Uh, it's it's easy, right? But for them, this could have been several days' journey. That means food and meals and expense. It also means that Paul, who's going through a really hard time, is left alone. And he's sending one of his best leaders to go love this church. This is no free move for Paul. This is costly love. This is sacrificial love. This is the same kind of love that any parent would have for their child. They would move heaven and earth. To try to care for that child, right? This is what Paul is doing for the church. This is how much he loved them. And so we might ask the question, what silences the voice of the enemy, right? Of all those assumptions and, and narratives that begin to pop up, all the spiritual activity that begins to go on when people face affliction. What strengthens and heals and helps hurting people in churches when they're tempted to fall apart due to, to, due to affliction, It's a gospel presence. It's a spiritual father or mother who often at significant cost to themselves will draw near. Someone who will come face to face with sufferers and remind them of the promises and accomplishments of Jesus. Someone who will sit with them, who will weep with them, who will love them who will dispel the lies of the enemy with the gospel of truth and grace. I know that many of you in your own ways have walked through times in your life where suffering and affliction was intense. It has a way, and rightly so, of shaking us up, of making us ask tough questions, making us evaluate our lives and even evaluate our thoughts on what we thought things were supposed to be and who God was supposed to be. And maybe you felt the isolation in suffering at times. You felt the thoughts begin to race in. Maybe even heard the lies of the enemy begin to infiltrate. God, do you care? Are you near? Have you abandoned me here? Should I look for another At some point, most every one of us will face trials and afflictions that bring up profoundly difficult questions in our hearts. We'll be shaken to the core and honestly, or, or, and, I'm sorry, and it's okay to ask these questions honestly. To wrestle and mourn and grieve like David in the Psalms. But in these moments what we need to show up and what God so often time and time again does for His children is He sends timely gospel presence to sit with us, to exhort us, to combat the lies and remind us that we're not alone. We need face-to-face brothers and sisters who will weep with us, who will give us the space to ask the hard questions and encourage us not to lose heart. Brothers and sisters who will remind us that far from leaving us alone, Jesus came not only close to our suffering, but He took it upon Himself. All our sin and suffering He bore. And He knows, He knows what it's like to feel forsaken and alone. And at the same time, He shows us a path To keep on trusting. To keep on hoping, even in the face of death, that death does not have the final word. That's part of this series. I love the language you guys are using for this series, that we're living, well, I've already forgot it, but (laughs) I do like it. That we're, essentially, that we're, we're living in the present, longing for the future hope. And there is a real difficulty in the present, and we don't need to ignore that. But we need people who will come enter that with us and say, hey, But don't go anywhere else. Don't tune out too quickly. Jesus has the final word. And he knows what it's like and he's overcome it in his resurrection. And one day he's going to come again and make all things new. Church family, as as we even celebrated and Kyle pointed us to last week, the work of Christ is finished. He's accomplished our atonement and redemption on his cross And yet the fullness of that, of what he achieved, is not yet. So hold fast to Jesus. Hold on to him. In the midst of the trials, remember that death does not win. Remember that you're forgiven. You're welcomed. You're wanted. You're held secure. And you're given a promise that even... In your death. God will not leave you. But he will raise you up on the last day. So that those who put their faith in him. Will live with eternity. Will live eternally with God. This is what. We need to meet us. When we face afflictions. We need a gospel presence. I want to leave you with two closing encouragements and applications. And we'll wrap up. Number one is is I just want to encourage you to cling to the church. Cling to the church. Um, God has given us the grace of Sunday gathered worship because sometimes, week after week, as we very simply, with simple and ordinary people proclaiming this word, God meets you with exactly what you need. And this is His means of grace to sustain you, His church that as we open up this book, the Holy Spirit would take these words and breathe life and encouragement and be a gospel presence in your heart. I want to encourage you to stay plugged into your missional communities. I've been in the missional community now for like 20 years, and it is messy, and sometimes I'm like, can we just not do this? <laughs> just to be honest, some of you veteran leaders are like, yeah. But here's the reality. You need people that know you. You need people who, when that fateful call comes, or when that trial strikes, or when the diagnosis hits, you can cry with. Who are gonna sign up in a heartbeat to bring you meals. When you're tempted and wayward and wanting to run away from the church, you're gonna say, no, don't believe those lies. We need you and want you here. Don't you be ashamed. Don't you let the enemy get the last word. We want you here. We want you here to receive God's grace. Keep showing up to missional community even though it's messy and hard. You need those real spiritual brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers to be gospel presence in your life. And give people permission. Tell them, hey, if, I, if I'm not thinking straight, if I'm going crazy, if I'm going off the rails, I need you to show up and shake me up, right? In an appropriate, nonviolent way, right? I need those kind of brothers and sisters in my life. Finally, second encouragement is to aspire to be a gospel presence in the life of others. The church in our day desperately needs men and women who will grow into spiritual fathers and mothers. I think, you know, sometimes we have all sorts of aspirations of I want to become this type of person or become that in my career. I would love to see, even if you're feeling like you're not there today, us aspire to say, one day, and, it, and along the way, I want to grow into be a spiritual father and mother. I want to grow to where I love the people in the church like I would love my own children. And I want to be the person that shows up with food, that shows up with love, that, that, that proactively meets for coffee and pursues others and asks the questions of, are you okay? And how are you doing? And what questions are you wrestling with? And continues to help people come back time and time again to Jesus. I think the church needs men and women who are filled with gospel grace to step out and love others in the church this way. And you can't be that for everyone. We are limited. But there are some people who God has placed in your life who you can be that for them. And one of the beautiful things is that when you invest your life in that kind of a pursuit, the reward of that is eternal. That one day you get to be in heaven and celebrate that, hey, remember, remember when you're going through this? <laughs> Boy, it pales now, doesn't it? Yeah, but man, I'm thankful you were there. I'm thankful God put you in my life. You're not going to care about all the trinkets and cars and boats and, you know, career advanced ladders, but that kind of stuff. We're going to celebrate that for eternity. We're going to look at Jesus and say, man, you're so good in sending my brother and my sister. When I needed them, they showed up. This is what we see here in this letter. Is that Paul is anxious and worried about the fate of this young, fledgling church, but out of his love for them and his prayers for them, God sends gospel presence. He sends Timothy. And Timothy loves them, cares for them at his own expense. Let me pray. Father, We long and need men and women to be gospel presence in our life. And I don't know what each person is going through here, but I know that in your sovereignty, you brought them here for a reason. And so even this morning, I pray that if if someone is walking through doubts, if someone is feeling the attack of the enemy, that your spirit would lead someone to minister to them. Even today, through a small conversation, you would open that up so that they could be cared for and pulled into your love and your embrace. That you would silence the voice of the enemy with the voice of love. And Lord, would you raise up and call up men and women who aspire to be spiritual fathers and mothers, to love people in this church and in this city as they love their own children. Lord, we thank you that you care for us and in your mysterious wisdom choose to use people to do so. Holy Spirit, lead us to you. Keep us in you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.